All right. Well, that's loading. I do want to say, man, that was a great park service on Sunday. That was incredible just to be together after over a year and a half or more. And uh, I did love it. I was like, wow, like one song, short sermon, another song. This is great. I was like, hey, we can do this every time. This is awesome. Uh, no, it was, it was phenomenal. Uh, and John was cracking me up with some of those jokes, especially saying that uh, it was tears of joy coming from the Lord as it rained down on us. So happy to see us all meeting together. Uh, Manami and I were saying afterwards, we were like, you know, I think God was just, uh, you know, ending the fellowship because honestly, we probably all would have stayed there as long as humanly possible and kind of been competing to see who could fellowship the longest, you know, not like shop till you drop, but it's like fellowship till you drop. And we were, I definitely think we would have stayed there a lot longer if it did not uh, start raining, but it was an awesome park service. It's great to be together with you guys. And I echo what John is saying, and I appreciate all the prayers. And I know all of you guys are amazing hearts. And I know the desire, you know, John talked about demand, desire. The desire is definitely there. You guys are here tonight because you desire the fellowship. You desire uh, to be together. You desire to be united, to be connected to the body of Christ. Uh, you guys are awesome, and we love you, and we are excited. And, you know, there's going to be ups and downs, and it's going to be interesting as we figure it out, but we're doing it together, and we're going to get this thing figured out by the grace of God. I do want to make a quick plug. Uh, tomorrow night, the Arts Ministry is hosting a virtual talent night. Uh, I don't have my soundboard this time, but I would have cheering going on and stuff. But uh, uh, it's going to be great. It's called It's a Time for a New Beginning. And I just want to let you know you're all invited. It's going to be 730 tomorrow night on Zoom. And I am going to post the link here in the chat. Uh, big thank you to Gia Lama for organizing this. I'm so grateful for the daytime arts ministry, as well as our Life Talk leaders, just working together to come up with virtual events throughout the pandemic. Uh, where we can provide a way for people just to connect and have an artistic outlet. Um, but this is, uh, I've already previewed the lineup. And if you want to get some encouragement, if you just want to kind of come uh, and enjoy and be lifted up, uplifted, it's going to be great. Uh, so feel f- uh, free, please join us tomorrow night. Now, on a little bit more of a somber note, as John had mentioned, you know, this is a somber week. I mean, we're leading up to the 20 year anniversary of 9-11. And, you know, it just hits home as we talk about home and, you know, calling it a comeback. And we just talk about uh, going home. We're going to look at that a little bit. Uh, I just wanted to take some time just to take a moment of silence and really take some time together to remember. I know we're not going to really, we'll be separately in park services or in uh, small group services on Sunday. Um, But let's just go ahead. I'm going to mute myself and just let's have a moment just of silence uh, really in honor of lives lost and the families and just the, the people that still 20 years later are grieving and mourning.
Amen. I don't know about you. I mean, I get emotional, um, you know, taking time like that just to think about it. I'm looking forward just to hearing from various people. Uh, I know you, many of you have emailed in videos to the Big Apple Church at gmail.com, just sharing about your experience. Uh, I think I might have shared this before. I know I remember I was in eighth grade. I was, you know, I grew up in New Jersey right across the river. And I had many, uh, you know, friends, classmates of mine whose parents worked in New York City. Um, and so just, you know, there were there were parents that came to pick up their kids from school covered in, you know, ashes and soot and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, this this really hits home for all of us. And it's crazy. Even 20 years later, it reminds me in the Bible, you know, uh, where it talks about the body and how when one part rejoices, each part rejoices. And when one part suffers, each part suffers with it. You know, this is a time where our city remembers a great time of suffering and we really we suffer with it. You know, we all we're, we love New York. Right. This is our hometown. We're here. We live here. We work here. Uh, we're proud New Yorkers. And so, again, these things really hit home as we talk about home tonight. Now, whether you're a newcomer or a veteran to New York City, calling New York City home does have its various challenges, doesn't it? I mean, there are many different challenges, just making the train on time, uh, you know, dealing with all kinds of things uh, that are unique to New York City, uh, you know, flooding in basements, you know, basement apartments. You know, these are the things that happen in New York City. I mean, from rats to roaches. I mean, you've got all kinds of things going on. Uh, the, the super hot summers, the incredibly cold winters. I mean, this is not a place for the faint of heart. Uh, it's like the, the Frank Sinatra song, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Calling New York City home is challenging. It's got its challenges. And you guys, uh, you know, you guys have grit uh, to be here. And I think about Jesus, how he faced some of these challenges when he returned to his hometown, right? Just like New York is our hometown. Jesus, you know, he faced many challenges when he went home. And it reminds me of Hebrews where it says that we have a high priest who can relate to us in every way. Don't you love about Jesus that he can relate to you, that he can relate to the things that you're going through? And I think even the challenges of living in New York City, Jesus can relate to, you know, coming home to challenging situations. And in Luke 4, we see that Jesus came back. We talk about don't call it a comeback. Jesus came back to Galilee and he went to Nazareth. And we know that he is Jesus of Nazareth. So this is his hometown, right? This is a his stomping grounds, where he grew up, the people that knew him. And let's look at the interactions that he has at home, because whenever you have a comeback uh, and whenever you come back to a place like home, uh, there are many obstacles. And in Luke 4, verse 14, we're going to pick up here in verse 14. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit, right where John ended off right before the rains came down uh, and the streams rose and beat against that house. Now, um, and new, it says news about him spread through the whole countryside. Verse 15 says he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Okay, that's a good way to start, right? You're going home, people praising you, teaching in their synagogues. Verse 16 says he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Okay, this is the place that he grew up, the place he hails from. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So many things that we could pull apart here, but we'll just focus on a few of them. Uh, we remember, as John talked about Sunday, that Jesus was tested in the wilderness. Angels attended him. Uh, but then he goes home. He goes back to where he's from. It says he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And I want to just ask this in the uh, chat. No, there is not a password or passcode. That should for the virtual daytime talent show. You should be good. Let me ask a question for the chat. How does it feel when you go home? How does it feel for you when you go home? 
You know, I know New York City is home for a lot of us. Maybe just going back to mom and dad's house. Maybe a lot of us, we moved here from other places. New York is our home, but the home we grew up in. What are some of the different ways it can feel comfortable? It feels great, familiar, comforting, safe. Home is where the heart is. Uh, I'm reading some of these, like regression. I hear that, Diana. You can feel like I'm going back in time. It depends, right? I think, you know, Beth Brewster is correct that there's a there's some mixed things. We talked about to Emmy the other day about uh, the idea of uh, bittersweet, that something can be a couple things at the same time. Um, sentimental, nostalgia, somewhat stressful going home, right? I feel you, Arlene. Uh, you have aha moments. Maybe you get some awesome barbecue. So there's a whole mix of things. How do you feel like you are viewed at home? How do you feel like you get viewed when you go home? Obviously, you go home, great. I'm comforted. I get to be babied, maybe. You know, it's uh, that's a nice thing about going home. Okay, seeing your fifth grade friends in Louisiana. Uh, home sweet home where love lives. Yes, it is a loaded question. Like a kid again, uh-huh, with the laughing emoji, just a teen. What's up, Denver and Oscar? Uh, we go back. Good to see you guys. Yeah, like I'm still nine years old, right? It's like frozen in time. How can your, how can your parents view you? How do you feel like you get viewed when you, okay, maybe you, you dust off the Nerf guns. Actually, recently we were back at my parents' house and Thor and I spent a lot of time playing with Legos. And that was kind of fun to feel like a kid again in a good way, get to play with my Legos. Um, yeah, you feel, maybe you feel spoiled. So again, there's, a, there's good and bad. I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm not like, it wasn't like there was necessarily even an answer. I'm totally looking for, but I do think that we, we feel a mix of things. You go home, you can feel comforted, you feel great, it's wonderful. Um, sometimes old patterns and opportunities to see growth and change. So uh, a lot of things like that, I think we can be viewed in different ways when we go home. Now, during the pandemic, a lot of us went home at various points, right, for various reasons. And I think before the pandemic, there's times where we went home just to visit, maybe holidays, it's just a stint. But because of the pandemic, now you have gobs of time. Maybe we spent some extended time uh, back home with mom and dad or uh, wherever home is. And we love home. Like we said, we feel comforted and we feel taken care of. And there's something about it, the familiarity. But home can also have its unique set of challenges. Some of us have great relationships with our parents. Others, maybe our relationships with our parents is tougher. Uh, maybe some of us, it's not even, we could feel bad because we feel like, well, I don't have a home to go back to. I'm on my own. And so again, there's many different situations out there. Uh, there's not just one. Um, but, you know, for Manami and I doing youth and family ministry, we think about family and how we love our family so much, right? But who pushes your buttons like your family? Can anybody push your buttons like family? I mean, they, they'll turn you into an elevator, right? They're just pushing every button like uh, Will Ferrell and Elf. They just feel like they just push them all, right? And we've got years of history, patterns of behavior, dynamics that have developed over time. And so it's easy to just tap into that frustration. It's very, there's a thin veneer and underneath it is just that, you know, we can just tap into that. You know, for me, at least personally, it doesn't matter how old I get. When I go home, my mom still calls me her baby boy. Uh, yes, I am the baby in the family. I have an older sister. And so I'm, you know, I'm her baby boy. It doesn't matter how old I am. I'm like, I have kids and I'm still a baby boy when I go home. You know, it can be really hard to grow up in our parents' eyes and in the eyes of those who knew us when we were children, adolescents, uh, the people that we know from growing up that we went to school with, elementary school, high school. 
And so these things can be difficult when we go back to the places that we're from, uh, whether we're from New York or whether we're from somewhere else and we moved here. Now, nevertheless, Jesus, think about all of that and the temptation that Jesus might have had maybe to not to go and kind of lay low and be incognito. Nevertheless, Jesus decides to speak publicly. And his first sermon in the book of Luke is in his hometown in Nazareth. And so in Luke 4, we're going to read verse 17 and continue here. It says, he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh my gosh, drop the mic, right? That is a blockbuster movie moment. It's epic. Jesus knew his Bible. He's deliberate and intentional in his knowledge of the scriptures. So he gets handed a scroll and he unrolls it, opens right to the spot where he knows he's going to read and reads from Isaiah. And I do want to make a big plug that, guys, let's get in the word. You know, this is, I keep showing it because I really love it, but this is my chronological Bible. Uh, it's the whole Bible in a year and I'm getting there. It's September. So I'm, you know, I'm reading consistently and I'm getting to uh, finish the whole Bible in one year, just a few more months left until the end of 2021. I just finished Ezekiel, Jeremiah and Isaiah. Ezekiel and Jeremiah were kind of contemporary prophets in Babylon and Jerusalem. So kind of cool to see them preaching side by side from different places. Um, but when was the last time you dug deep into some Old Testament? And this is besides just what we hear on a midweek or on a Sunday, but how is your personal Bible study going? If we want to follow Jesus and imitate him, then it's important to have an understanding of the Bible that Jesus read. If you look at the section Jesus quotes from, from Isaiah, you know, you can just follow the footnotes. You ever done that? When, you know, when we really uh, read the Bible and engage and not just kind of go through the motions, but look at the footnotes and, you know, the, the chain reference Bible, where is this coming from? Then you would realize that when Jesus reads from Isaiah, he actually doesn't read the full verse. He's quoting Isaiah, but he actually leaves something out. And so I want to compare uh, Isaiah 61 verse 2 to Luke chapter 4 verse 19. See, in Luke 4 19, he says, you know, the, he ends out his mission statement. This is what I'm here to do today. The scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He ends with verse 19 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But Isaiah 61 verse 2, what he's quoting from, where he had unrolled the scroll and read from, they knew that scripture too. You got to remember, they didn't have TV, they didn't have movies, they had scrolls and people read from them. And so they would have known that it said to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That would have been a big part of their understanding of this prophecy from Isaiah and something that people really would have been looking forward to. We'll talk about that. See, Jesus outlines his ministry and his mission here. It's his first sermon. He foreshadows a lot of what's going to happen in the book of Luke in this sermon. He's liked initially, then disliked. And so that really foreshadows what's going to happen to him, as we all know, the end of the story. But he says, right, proclaiming good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, freeing the oppressed, proclaiming God's favor. But he leaves out the vengeance. Now, 
just historical backdrop, and a lot of us know this stuff, but just a reminder that the Israelites were no strangers to oppression. They had been in slavery in Egypt. In Babylon, there's, we know the Babylonian captivity. They were taken off, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and all that stuff. And now during this time when Jesus was alive and when he, you know, on the earth and when he was here speaking to them, they were occupied by Rome, the Roman occupation. And so there was a belief that God was going to turn the tables on these wicked Gentiles. They were not even God-fearing people. They sacrificed to these unknown gods and they had wicked practices and they've oppressed us. And so they were looking forward to this turning of tables of these people that had oppressed them, that now the oppressors would become the oppressed, that we're going to flip this and we're going to be your masters. You're going to be our slaves. Get a taste of your own medicine, right? That they were looking forward to God bringing the hammer down on these evil people. But Jesus intentionally leaves out the vengeance. Jesus's ministry, we have to understand, is a ministry of forgiveness, of grace, and of reconciliation. And we have to understand that this is not a message that some people would have wanted to hear. People that have been upset, had been hurt, you know, and, you know, so how could this apply to us today? There are many, many things in our world today that are not right. And we're well aware of this. I mean, we know there is a lot of things, injustice, corruption, abuse. You know, what we call that as Christians, you know, is sin. And that's the thing that the world doesn't always totally understand. It's called sin. And so we can be outraged and many times rightly so. But when we desire vengeance on others, like physical harm, mistreatment, we've got to ask, am I in line with the mission of Jesus? See, instead of vengeance, Jesus teaches us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. That's some otherworldly stuff. To hope that they will turn from their ways, to, to want something good for them, to hope that, that they would change, that they would repent, that they would maybe go to heaven one day. See, Jesus could have preached the message that everybody wanted to hear in his hometown, right? Don't call it a comeback. He could have preached about the day of vengeance, but he chose to take a courageous stance. And when we are back home in New York City making a comeback, whatever that means for you, it could be back to work in the office, back to teaching in a classroom, back in your neighborhood, back in your apartment building, you know, in person. It's like even us, we feel kind of like we're meeting people now sometimes for the first time because everybody's been so, you know, uh, socially distant, you know, and they've really been keeping their social distance. Um, and so we could be, you know, just things like shopping at your local grocery store, talking with neighbors, there are going to be times where you have to share your convictions. And I'm not talking about in a preachy, condescending way. I'm not talking about being unwise or saying hurtful things or talking about controversial things right up front. I also don't mean going out of our way to create controversy, like posting things on social media, you know, people just looking for arguments. You know, what I mean is that there are those times when people look at you and they ask you something about what you believe and you've got to decide, just like the synagogue, all eyes were fastened on Jesus, you know, and they're looking at what's he going to say. You've got to decide how are you going to respond? You have to stand up like Jesus in the synagogue and share with people what you're all about. What is my mission? And in those moments, you have to choose what you're going to choose to include and what you will omit. The truth is that biblical positions are highly unpopular today. Much like leaving out the day of vengeance would have been unpopular in Jesus's day with a crowd of oppressed Israelites who wanted to hear a sermon about sticking it to the Romans. You know, sometimes we got to realize that saying less is more. Jesus, by omitting something, actually said a whole lot. Isn't that cool? He made it clear what his ministry was all about. 
And when we come back home or come back to the office or come back to the classroom, wherever we are coming back to, it's important that we make it clear to people what we stand for and what we're all about. Now let's keep reading in Luke chapter four, verse 22. It says, so he, he delivers this sermon. He speaks, he preaches, he's in his hometown, Nazareth. And in verse 22, it says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And we'll keep reading in verse 24. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. And yet there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. In verse 28, he continues here saying, all the people in the synagogue were furious, furious when they heard this. And that's a key word. You got to stop and say, why would they be furious? They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. It's only Luke 4, people. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This passage really starts off great, right? And kind of just uh, then it goes downhill or off a cliff, you know, and spirals and just crashes and burns, right? You know, at first, it says people spoke well of Jesus. All of them, in fact, it says. They were amazed. They said his words were gracious. Wow, look at how well he speaks, how gracious his words are. We like listening to him. But then you see a shift when they start to say, wait, isn't this Joseph's son? You know, and at first, you know, there's different scholars and different things they think, but there's some consensus that this starts to be a, a negative thing that they're saying. You know, it's, you know, what starts with amazement quickly turns into criticism and judgment at first in the beginning of when he's speaking hey wow this is great look at him all grown up and then he starts to say some things that we don't like so much and so all of a sudden it starts to turn it wait isn't that joseph's son who does he think he is right who does this kid think that he is talking to us this way see jesus already knows as they start to say this and they start to say isn't this joseph's son he already knows where they're going with things and so he's like, you're going to start to say, hey, look, physician, heal yourself, right? Maybe that's a bit of crucifixion foreshadowing there. You know, we all remember when they came up to the cross and said, if you're the son of God, you come down, heal, you know, heal yourself, those kinds of things. You know, basically saying, look, if you're so smart, prove it. Let me see some miracles, right? Talk about a tough crowd. I know we have a lot of performers in the house. You ever, uh, and we got some people who do stand up. You ever like, you know, done something for a very tough crowd. He got up and spoke and all of a sudden you could just imagine the tomatoes, the potatoes, any kinds of vegetables, rotten vegetation being thrown. I mean, they got upset. Not only that, but it says that they took him and they wanted to throw him off a cliff. These are people who watched him grow up. Could you imagine the people that knew you from when you, when you were a little kid wanting to kill you? Could you imagine what that would have felt like for Jesus? You know, they know his family, and yet they reject him. And I think it's important to stop sometimes and realize whenever we feel rejected or feel rejection, Jesus felt it in ways that, that is so far beyond, you know, that he can not only relate to us, but imagine how much more. 
that the people that, that, you know, you would think would be supporting you, would be helping you, the people that watched you grow up, they maybe babysat you, the families, your next door neighbors. And now they're saying, you know, we want to, to take him to the edge of the town, throw him off the cliff. Jesus knew rejection. When you see somebody in a certain way, you know, when you have a certain image of somebody, especially watching them from when they're little and as they grow up, it can be hard to let go of any earlier held notions that you have of them. You know what I'm talking about? When once you kind of make up your mind about somebody, that it can be really hard uh, for that person to change their impression with you, or maybe vice versa. Maybe you felt that where, you know, with somebody else, where maybe you didn't make the best first impression or for whatever reason, you feel like they view you in a certain way and there's really not much you can do to change that. Maybe it was true in the beginning. Maybe there was something that you had to grow in or work on. Um, but hey, now I've changed, but they only see you uh, as, you know, that nine-year-old kid, as John was saying before. You know, I think about for myself. As a kid, I was very selfish. You know, I still, I'll be honest, I still really fight to not be selfish. And I, I really have to work on I love my wife. She's amazing. She is so naturally selfless. Um, But I was very selfish, probably as most kids are. My world revolved around me. And so when I go home, you know, this is just me personally sharing that I feel like I have to work extra hard to show my parents that I'm different. You know, I'm trying to show, hey, look, I've changed. I am setting the table. I am doing the dishes. I am asking everybody else, what do you, you know? And so I I try to, you know, do what I can uh, to show them, look, I do think about other people and not just me. But I can still often feel like it's hard to shake that image that my family has of me. And I love them. I think they're amazing. It's just that they naturally go there like, you know, oh, you know, you just think about yourself again, Ross. Like, did you only just get the ice cream out for you and all that kind of stuff? So anyways, amen. Now, but isn't this true for all of us, though? You know, whether it's just when we go home or maybe when it's when we come back to New York City, come home to New York City. Maybe it's when we come back to our jobs in person and the in-person dynamics. I know for a lot of us, we've been working remotely, but when you start to go back into the office and those old patterns and dynamics come back, and even as we come back in person for church, maybe there's a reputation that you have had at church. I know you guys are all amazing, but I know there's little things that can crop up between brothers and sisters. And so maybe you feel like there's a way you're viewed or a way that you feel like uh, that you don't want to be viewed in that way. And so it takes courage to go back into these situations the way that Jesus went back into Nazareth and to show character development and growth, to show that you aren't the same as you used to be. Maybe you want to show that you've grown in your reliability. Maybe there was a time where, whether it's at work, at home, at church, maybe, you know, responsibilities were given to you. Maybe some balls got dropped and maybe you want to show, no, I can be reliable. Maybe it's your grace towards others. You know, maybe you're working on not being as judgmental or critical of other people. You know, maybe, you know, that's the reputation you have. Maybe you just want to show that you're more organized. Maybe you want to show, hey, I'm a, you know, that I want to be a better listener. Maybe that's something that you want to show that maybe there was a time where, you know, I get in the conversation, I'm just talking about myself the whole time. Like we've all been in those conversations. We're like, okay, can we talk about something else now? Um, You know, maybe you want to be more thoughtful. The list goes on and on. It can be hard once you've made an impression on someone to go back and change the image that they have of you. But all you can do is work on the areas that God is showing you. And rather than doing it for people, let's repent because that is what God is calling us to do, not just to change someone else's image of you. And here's what's amazing. When God is your focus and you're repenting really just to please him, that's when 
people will take notice of it. It's funny, right? Because when we try to do it for someone so that they can see, oh, we're different, oftentimes they'll still, it'll look to them the same. They'll still view us a certain way, you know, whatever. But when we do it for God, that's when, you know, it's just that those paradoxes, right? That, that that's how it works with God and with spiritual things. That when we focus on him, it's kind of like the Matthew 6, all of these things will be added as well. Just focus on repenting for God, do it for him. And the people will take notice later, but don't do it for the people. Now to understand the final section more completely, I want to start actually at the end uh, where we are here on uh, verse 24 through 27. And I want to work backwards Because the story ends with Jesus at the edge of a cliff with a crowd trying to throw him off. And verse 28 says, all the people were what? They were furious with what he says. I love that word, furious. We don't use it all that often, right? Furious. It's just funny, funny word. But, you know, it goes a few short verses from all speaking well of him to all of them were furious Okay, what in the world did Jesus say that made everyone want to throw him off a cliff? You ever wonder that? Like, why was that such a a big deal? Some of the things he said that you went from speaking well of him. Oh, he's so cute. Little Jesus all grown up. And, you know, he's he's speaking so graciously. And isn't that so nice to like, we got to kill this dude. Right. Like, how did that happen in like six verses? And so to understand that, we got to see that Jesus brings up two examples of faith from the Old Testament. And again, this is where it's so helpful and good to know the stories of the Old Testament, to understand uh, what it's saying, to understand why Jesus is bringing up these Old Testament stories. Because again, those first century Jewish uh, people, as well as the Jewish Christians in the first century church would have understood some of these stories. So it's good for us to know about them. You know, Elijah, it talks about Elijah you know, that story, the story of Elijah, the prophet with this widow in Zarephath. Uh, and so she was from the region of Sidon. And so basically you had uh, that story, then Elisha, we know there was Elijah and then Elisha. And so Elisha, uh, he comes and he, there's the whole interaction with Naaman the Syrian. You remember the, the leprosy and he comes because he hears about, hey, maybe there's this prophet that can heal you doesn't want to follow the instructions, almost leaves. Hey, I got better rivers in my neck of the woods. And then his, uh, like his assistant or this guy with him is like, Hey, look, wouldn't you have done it if it was something simple? So why not just do it? So he goes and obeys and his skin is cleansed. Some great stories, but the, these two stories Jesus brings up, they're two of Israel's major, these prophets that are like held in high regard, revered men of God, uh, who went not to Israelites, They went to foreigners. They went to Gentiles. Jesus was saying, God cares for the Gentiles. These people you want to have vengeance of, these people actually have been shown in the Old Testament scriptures to be people of faith that God has delivered and helped as well. He cares for all people. You know, he could have sent the prophets to help Israelites is what Jesus was saying. Wasn't there a lot of widows that were, you know, in Israel that he could have sent Elijah to? Um, and so, but he sent them to this, uh, the widow in Zarephath, you know, he could have sent somebody to help lepers in Israel. Weren't there plenty of leprous people in Israel, but no Naaman, the, this guy who was like the leader of an army of some of our enemies, the Syrians, he healed this guy. Jesus was challenging their hearts. He could have sent the prophets to help Israelites, but they helped foreigners. He's exposing their discriminatory views because they were looking at uh, this, you know, the wrong way. And now you can understand better why they would have wanted to kill him. See, now prayerfully, no one's trying to throw you off a cliff. 
as we've come as we come back in person to church or in person at work or wherever else you're transitioning to from virtually to in person but you know it can feel like that sometimes can't it when we stand up for spiritual things or for godly things when we stand up for being like Jesus you know the scriptures do say everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted it's not even like It just says everyone who even wants to, not even everyone who's doing it. That's what's crazy. Just for wanting to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. You know, as Christians, our stances will not always be the popular ones. Our views will not always be accepted by the world. We might feel like the people around us are trying to throw us off a cliff or under a bus to use a more modern euphemism. Even people that you would think would care for us the most, like our friends, our family, You know, these people can sometimes you can feel like, are you trying to hurt me with the way that you're talking to me or about me to other people, right? You think about the crowd. The crowd is an interesting concept in the Bible because, you know, there's the crowd is the crowd is so fickle. Popular opinion is always changing. And we've got to be careful not to be people pleasers, not to try so hard to please the crowd, right? It's the whole old saying about, well, if everyone was jumping off a bridge, would you do it too? You know, we have to be careful that we don't just do everything just because everybody else says so, or because everybody else does it. As Christians, we are naturally go against the grain people. We are not go with the crowd people, but our temptation living in this world and being in this world is that we want to be popular with the people around us. And that's very hard to do as a Christian. Now we can be loved and we can love other people, but we just got to make sure we understand that. We got to be careful not to be people pleasers, but to aim to please God. We need to be God pleasers. You know, now it's a balance. We got to care about people. That's what's hard, right? It's like, I don't want to be a people pleaser, but I love people. I want to care about them. I want to care for people. I want to love them, but I don't want to be a people pleaser. Here's what's amazing about Jesus. You know, what I love about Jesus is that he walks right through the crowd. He walks right through this crowd. Jesus loved all the people that were in the crowd. You know, we know, obviously we know from the story, and he gave his life for these people that very early on in his ministry wanted to throw him off a cliff. Jesus loved these people, but he didn't try to please these people. He didn't try to please the crowd, just do what was going to make them happy with him. And then he walks right through the crowd and he goes on his way. As followers of Jesus, we got to take courage. We need courage to take a stand at times. Wisdom to know when to take that stand and about what to take that stand on. You know, we got to know, is this the hill to die on, right? There are some battles you're like, you know what, this is not something to fight right now. But there are other times where we got to know, no, this is something that I need to make sure that, hey, this is clear about who I am, what I believe. We also need to have the confidence to be God pleasers and not people pleasers. New York City has many challenges You know, there are a lot of them, right? But so did Nazareth. Nazareth had many challenges for Jesus. Jesus could have chosen to avoid Nazareth, right? Uh, There's many people I've talked to, uh, you know, who they're like, why would you want to live in New York City? They're like, I live in this part of New Jersey, and that's still too close. You know, there's people of all, you know, uh, you know, all sorts, right? And so different people have different values. For some people, they're like, I wouldn't want to live in New York City. Too crowded, too many people all over the place is, you know, not for me, Right. And so people, there are some people just choose just to avoid it, right? But Jesus didn't avoid Nazareth altogether. He chose to engage it and to be a part of the solution. There are many challenges here. We're not going to lie. We're trying to figure out all this in-person meeting and what are we doing? How do we do it? 
you know, there will be challenges, but we can't just avoid it. We've got to really embrace and really do our best to with what we've been given. And, you know, as we're kind of hybrid, virtual, in-person and just figuring it out, you know, we've got to not avoid those challenges, but face them head on. You know, we face various obstacles as we return to meeting for church in person. You know, Jesus, though, he chose to engage and be a part of the solution to point people towards God and towards godly perspectives. You know, so as we're kind of making this transition back to in person, let's just choose to be solution oriented. You know, I think that's the big thing. It's easy for a lot of people just to point out problems and point out, well, this is not right. And this is different and this, you know, and we got to remember my, my good friend Damon always says, whenever you point a finger, you have three fingers pointing back at yourself. We always have to realize, and it's the speck in the plank. We got to be careful. We all want good things. We all want to be together safely and all this stuff. Um, but let's make sure we choose to be solution oriented and realize a lot of work, effort, thought is going in as we are all trying to pray and think about how do we really do do this and how do we really follow Jesus and what he, God is calling us to do right now. Um, let's be solution oriented. Let's be full of grace and let's be willing to take on these challenges, unafraid of the crowd and courageous to stand up for what is right. Uh, so with that, I just have some discussion questions. I'm going to post them in the chat and so let me just put this right here. And you guys are awesome. Uh, it was so great, again, just to see you all on Sunday. Um, but are there any perceptions that people have of you at home, work, or church that you would like to change? Like, are, is there a reputation? We all have, a, we're known for something, right? So, you know, and it's a good exercise to see, like, what do I think I'm known for versus what do, you know, people say I'm known for, you know, versus what is a reputation that you would like to have? You know, what is something that you would like to be known for, whether it's around the house, whether it's at work, whether it's at church within our fellowship, um, you know, it's always good to know, well, what is the thing that I want to be shooting for? Because that's the only way you can really truly change. And again, not that we're trying to do it to please people, but also what is the, how do I want people to know me as? Um, and then what are some things uh, that you can do to garner that reputation. You know, the thing that you want to have, that you're shooting for, what are some practical things that I could do? If I want to be known as just a, uh, you know, um, a giving person, you know, then what are some things that I could do to do that? If I want to be known as, you know, somebody who's loving, you know, what are some things, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then finally, how can you practically care about people without being a people pleaser? Just kind of discussing that, you know, where do I, how do I, um, how do I balance and straddle that line between I love people, I care about them, but I also am not going to just do everything just to make somebody else happy. And, and how do you kind of, um, you know, distinguish between those two things. So that's hopefully you'll have some good discussions um, based on that. And so that is our lesson uh, for tonight. So I hope that that encourages you. You guys are amazing. Uh, so grateful to be a part of a fellowship with so many incredible, courageous, phenomenal, faithful disciples. Uh, love you guys. Hope you have a great night. Uh, I'm going to